Hello and welcome everyone to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns, doctor of Eastern medicine and founder of the Naturna Institute in New York City. In these weekly sessions, I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility warriors. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone. We have a very special guest today, Yoan Soulage, IVF consultant for men and couples, has joined us today to tell us about his journey and all of the insights that he will share um, to help you on your journey. Welcome, Yoan. Thank you for having me, Christina. Great. So let's just dive in. What is your story and background that led you here to design for consulting? All right. So I actually started my infertility journey in 2011. At the time, we were trying to conceive with my wife, and it had been a year or so, and she said, hey, maybe we should see someone. And obviously, you know, as a man, I refused, and I said, no, 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 let's try a little bit longer. And what happened is even after trying longer, nothing happened. And so she got tested. I was sent to a urologist did my first semen analysis ever, which was uh, a difficult experience for me, and we can get back to it, and was actually given the diagnosis at that time that I had poor um, sperm count, motility, morphology, and that for me, the only option moving forward to become a dad would be to go through IVF. Also, I was diagnosed at the time with something called varicoceles, which is pretty much, you know, varicose veins in the, in the testes, and I was told that I could go for the surgery with no guarantee it might help. Usually there is a 50% chance that it helps with the, my count, but that it might not. And so I was pretty much left with two things that I didn't know much about, uh, the surgery and my diagnosis and IVF as an option. What was that like for you? So I was like feeling a lot of guilt. And the reason for that is that I tend to kid around a lot, you know, during my life. And when my wife said, hey, maybe we should go and get tested, I was like kind of kidding that the uh, issue might be coming from me without actually knowing that it would be the case, you know, a few months later. The second thing I felt was uh, uh, a lot of shame because, you know, as a man, it's, you know, fatherhood and being able to impregnate your wife is a big thing for your sense of masculinity. And now I was kind of told that, it would not happen with me and my um, semen quality. And the last one, and I did tend to go to this emotional lot in the past, was anger. So I felt like punished. I didn't know why, that I won the lottery nobody wants to win. And that now, you know, because of me, my wife would have to go through this thing called IVF that I knew a little bit about, but honestly, I had no clue what we were about to uh, enter um, in terms of the journey. And I was kind of um, feeling angry that she would have to go through this because of me. How did she react to the news? So she was um, showing a lot of empathy. So she didn't really care that I had joked about it previously. And then she, you know, she's a very uh, driven person. So she accepted the diagnosis and said, hey, now we have to go to a fertility clinic and get started. So she was just like, you know what, doesn't even matter. Let's just get it done kind of thing. Yeah. 
And, and was, how was that for you, knowing that she was so matter of fact and that she didn't try to shame you or she didn't seem to feel bad? She just said, okay, I have my eye on the prize. Let's just do this. I, I felt a lot of pride. I mean, she's a very driven uh, woman. During the cycles, actually, we went through three total, and now we have two kids. Um, and so this was all started like 10 years ago, as I was saying, also. Even during you know, the ups and downs, he was always the one saying, hey, let's try again. Hey, when we're ready again, let's do it again. I was more like cautious, processing everything as, and thinking maybe we should you know, space it out, give it more time. But she was always, you know, her eagerness to start a family was always the driving force in our couple. And um, yeah, she showed a lot of strength. I did too. And But one thing I did wrong, and, you know, many men um, might actually relate to that. Is I didn't process my own feelings. So I just shut them down at the time and I just supported her. And I thought this was the right thing to do. And in retrospect, uh, it was not a very smart move. And so when you say you shut them down, so these feelings of like anger and shame and, and this, you know, like almost like feeling like, you know, this was like the thing that was happening to you, like you're the victim of this, of this thing, you just put it in a box and you left it there. And so what were the consequences of that? So the consequence, that's a very good question. So the consequence was that after the, the birth of my second child, I ended up uh, having terrible anger bouts. And at that time, uh, my wife told me, you should go and see somebody to discuss that. And I was, uh, again, very driven. I thought that I could handle it all just by myself. And so I kind of made a deal with her. And I said, okay, I'll do it if you do it. And I picked on purpose somebody whom I thought wouldn't have clicked with me. And I would just go and have one session with that person. And in the end, I ended up working with this individual for like two to three years. That's amazing. So it was almost like, you know, this hard time, you know, sparked the you, you to motivate to do something that you maybe needed on many levels anyway. Absolutely. And it was the tip of the iceberg. There were a lot of things that, you know, I unpacked during all these uh, therapy sessions um, and repressing emotions, not liking to be controlled by, you know, a health condition or others uh, was something I had to work on. Uh, a lot. And at that point in time, it was kind of a breaking point where I could no longer function and be a normal human being because I was really angry all the time. And um, it was time for me to really do the safe work and unpack all of that with a professional. Well, I'm interested in hearing, you're so insightful. So I, I'm loving this conversation. I'm interested in hearing about, you know, the male perspective on that, because what you're describing about yourself, I kind of view as how a lot of men are functioning, right? And and do you have any insight as to why? Like women go and seek help and we're just kind of like, you know, we'll talk about things, we'll seek the help. But you guys, I don't know if it's pride, ego, um, conditioning. I would love to hear from you, a man, what makes you stuff things away and deny things and and not want to get your sperm tested and not, you know, all of that stuff. Well, there is a lot to unpack there, but let me start by saying that men do not open up about their emotions. That's mm -hmm. kind of a statement, but in general, that's kind of true, even among themselves. So through all this safe work, I discovered also uh, men's groups, and I've been part of one for a long time. And so what it is for me is a container where you can be yourself and express your emotions without 
feeling or fearing that somebody is going to make fun of you for doing so. And I think that's the big stigma, right? Usually when you open up and about, you know, such uh, private personal matters like infertility, you're afraid to get in as a response um, somebody like making fun of you or mocking you. And that's maybe why a lot of men do not open up because they don't trust other men to actually hear them out, see them, and then maybe just um, not, you know, react in a, in a weird way where, you know, they would use it as a weapon to kind of uh, attack you. There is this uh, toxic masculinity stereotype where if you ask for help, you're being weak because as men, we should just be self-sufficient, uh, powering through and needing no help from anybody. Therapy itself as a, you know, um, like course of um, kind of getting better and doing the self-work is something I would have never, ever contemplated. I didn't want to do it. I refused to do it for the longest time till my wife said, look, this is like the point where you, you need to try it. I'm not asking you to do it for like a year or so, but at least you need to try it. And there is a lot of stigma there too, right? If you cannot, I thought if I cannot take care of my own mind, you know, because I like having control. So I take care of my own body. I go to the gym, I, I run, I swim, and now I cannot handle my own mind. So what's wrong with me? And a lot of men think that, you know, it's something you should be doing by yourself. And we don't have conversations among ourselves that are deep in nature. We will get right back to today's episode in just a moment. But since you're listening to this podcast, I gather you may also be interested in exploring holistic methods to better your fertility journey. In addition to running this podcast, I am also the founder of the Naturna Institute, a holistic wellness institute in New York City that uses naturopathic and traditional Eastern approaches to achieve optimal reproductive wellness. We offer a very comprehensive approach to natural care, often working alongside your Western medical practitioner to enhance results. And even if you live outside of New York City, we offer a variety of virtual services to better guide you in a tailored plan to help you towards your fertility goals. Be sure to check us out through our website, naturnalife.com, and follow us on Instagram at naturna underscore life. Okay, now back to the show. And in the men's groups that, you know, that you have started or the ones that you're a part of, what are those discussions like compared to what it would be like, you know, chatting with somebody on the street or, you know, if you go out and play a game of golf with a friend? Yeah, so they're, they're, it's an open space. Everybody's holding space and they are safe in a way where everybody is there for that. What has been discussed stays in the container and there is no judgment of the other guys, but there is the resonance. And you can discuss, you know, very, very intimate topics like addiction to anything, drugs, porn, um, sexuality, sexual dysfunction, fertility, all these topics that are really not talked about among men in general. And without the fear of being judged, uh, receiving a sense of love back, being heard part of a brotherhood. And that's very um, critical, I think, for, for men in general, because these are even topics I would say you could talk about uh, with your wife, but the resonance you get is very different because it's not a male perspective on things. And if I were to discuss the semen analysis aspect of it, and unfortunately, I've been to fertility clinics uh, 10 years later, and it hasn't changed. So the way it happened for me is I was in the waiting room with my wife, 
And in this waiting room, I was the only guy. And then they scream your name and you just stand up and everybody knows why you're here. There are other aspects, you know, I, I can discuss now in, in the men's group that I'm leading, which is looking at um, infertility and male infertility in, in particular. It, like everything in life, you need to practice to be able to do it. Because even though it's just a simple part, one might say in the entire IVF cycle, you have to be able to produce on demand within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. In, in a headspace where your wife is about to go under anesthesia to do the egg retrieval. Uh, and in one of the cases for me, um, she was waiting in the car with my um, daughter at the time, who was an infant, because daycare was not open. And this was the time we had to be there at the fertility clinic. And we couldn't arrange for you know, anybody to uh, take care of her. So again, these are things I remember. This was a very stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And um, unless you've gone through it all, it's hard to even explain to somebody who hasn't gone through the the journey and, and the process. No, so I agree with you. Like, I think um, like sperm on demand is a hard thing because it's really loaded. And I worked in a fertility clinic. I know the room that men went into and that, you know, the staff of the clinic, most of us women see the man going in there. We know what he's doing. He knows that we know. Um, right. I could totally like, you know, one man with a very, very good lighthearted attitude could, you know, try to find humor in it. But I think most men felt like you where it felt, you know, kind of shameful and weird and awkward to, to be doing that and to do it under such pressure. And like the rooms used to be filled with, you know, dirty magazines. Right. And now people use their phone to do it on command. And and most women, the attitude is like, I'm doing so much. Can't you just get this one thing done? Like that's, that's the female attitude, which I think probably makes it even worse for you. Correct. There is the, not in the case of my wife, she was never doubting that I would do it at the day off and that everything would be okay. But uh, working in this space, I've seen that people are even like uh, wondering how come it's taking so long, right? Mm-hmm. And how come he hasn't come back yet? Yeah, there is the added pressure of, you know, doing going through the egg retrieval and some people freeze sperm ahead of time uh, as well, just, you know, as a backup solution, but it's better with fresh sperm or whatever. So I've seen it all and I've heard it all. And I had to do it multiple times because we went through three cycles. And I would say every time is different. Uh, And maybe it was easier the first time around because I didn't know as much and um, maybe I didn't overthink it as much. I mean, I think in any case, it probably has at least somewhat to do with beliefs and mindset and things, which is probably something that you're helping people with in your group. But I have also, you know, male patients that are having trouble performing. So they are having trouble giving that sample in the room. They are having trouble to, you know, get or maintain an erection at the time when they're you know, wife, girlfriend, partner is fertile, right? And and it seems to really compound the issue. I feel for you men in a large way that there are these things that, you know, you're you're wanting to to do for the, you know, for your wife, for the family, and but that it that it can be hard, hard to do it on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned something and it does resonate with me. Uh, there is also sometimes the association of infertility with like um, sexual performance issues, like erectile dysfunction or things like that. And they're totally decoupled. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can have um, a fertile guy having issues, you know, maintaining an erection, and yeah. somebody like me who's never had these issues, but uh, his semen is actually of poor quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that adds to the shame and the taboo, I would say, because there is sometimes a correlation between the two where it's totally disconnected. But I got that question a lot uh, when I started working in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like? Uh, does it mean, you know, you cannot kind of get pregnant naturally? Is it, you know, the, the mechanics of it? Is it uh, the quality of the semen? What is it? And is it actually coupled together? So that, oh, that's really interesting. That's you're mentioning this, yeah, because it, sometimes it's um, something people put together where it's separate. I mean, separate uh, conditions and the mindset. Um, and it's kind of funny you mentioned it is key. I believe that in everything we do in life, having the right mindset and you can train it mm-hmm. is going to help. And uh, it's part of my you know coaching program working on the mindset first understand who you are what are your values what is triggering you what is motivating i mean driving you motivating you and then do the same with your partner because it's a very traumatic experience and i mean trauma comes to mind but this is what it is and that stays with you even if successful well good thing you did deal with it that way instead of with alcohol or other reckless behaviors so, I mean, I, I find it interesting first that you say that those two things are coupled together because I also consider them to be two very separate things. I have men that have, you know, no issues with performance and then there's absolutely no live sperm in their ejaculate, right? And then mm-hmm. there are some men with erectile dysfunction whose sperm is actually okay. But, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about men was so women ask this a lot and this is why you know i'm getting the the perspective from the other side so women will be going through ivf maybe the men have you know poor morphology poor motility you know poor count all or one or you know usually they i i see them kind of converge together but the IVF doctor will say, ah, you know, we have ICSI. We're just going to inject it into the egg. Don't worry about it. IVF overcomes all of this. And so the woman's taking vitamins and changing her diet and going to acupuncture and doing all the things. And the man's like, well, I don't have to do anything because the doctor said I don't have to do anything. And that frustrates the women. What's the male perspective on that? What was your experience with them? So my experience was very different. So I started taking supplements the minute I was diagnosed with uh, poor semen quality. Mm-hmm. I also knew that it takes 30 days for the sperm to fully regenerate. So whatever I'm doing today, the, I will see the effect, you know, 30 days from now. At least it's more like 90 days from... Oh, sorry, did I say yeah. 90, 30? Sorry, 90, <laughs> three months. I, had I was like, months. 30 days sounds great. <laughs> I don't want to uh, yeah, say something wrong here. So it's 90 days, 90 days. And so uh, three months from now, whatever changes you do. So I used to you know, do sonas or have my laptop on my lap and things like that. So I believe that in my case, I got also the ICSI story and all, you, all it takes is one. But it takes one good one. And even if it's one, make sure it's the best you can ever produce. So I was more of the mindset, let's take supplements, um, exercise, you know, uh, avoid heat at all costs. And I also went through the surgery, not, you know, hoping much, thinking it's going to change anything or everything. But I did it because of guilt. And that's another thing I see a lot of people do. Uh, Now my wife had to go through this and why not try one more thing before she has to go through this because of me. Mm -hmm. And so in my case, my 
count where went from 0.5 to 3 million, which was still insufficient to go through IUI or other, you know, um, other methods or pathways. Uh, but I, I still did it. And because of the shame of it all, I actually took vacation to go through surgery because I didn't want my work colleagues to know what was happening to me. So I went to the extreme of taking a week off to get the varicocelectomy performed. And then I went back to work in pain and everything because I didn't want anybody to know. Yuan, this sounds crazy. That like, like It's like literally suffering in silence. And you seem like a very evolved man, but I guess there is, is still this notion of like, that masculinity, like this is the, you know, this is defining my masculinity, my ability to impregnate my wife, my reproductive potential, what have you. So it's really nice to hear from you, you know, the truth of what men are going through. And so like, what are the things that you learned on the way that you would want um, men or couples to know that like, these are the things that you're like, oh, I wish I had known this. So I'm going to say something that seems contradictory because there is the Unconscious guy I used to be, and now the conscious guy. So I have like the duality of the two, if you will. When I was in these shoes, I didn't want any help uh, from a therapist, from another person, um, and even less so from another guy. But even though I didn't want it, I needed it. I just didn't know that at the time. So what I'm trying to say to guys now is, listen, you don't have to listen to me. Just try it out. And the first entry point, if you will, is coming to a men's group. It's free. Um, I kind of lead it so the container is safe and somebody opens up. And if you don't want to say anything, just listen. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say anything. Just listen. Mm -hmm. Log in from the comfort of your home and listen to what's happening. And I think for many, uh, infertility is the first time being part of a group only of men willing to actually openly share about very private stuff. And it does two things. They realize they're not alone. And they also realize men can have these deep conversations. Granted, the container is around infertility and going through the journey. But it goes well beyond that because, you know, there are other discussions taking place that are not just 100% related to infertility. Just men talking to men openly in a safe container. This is amazing. I was talking, when I invited you to be on the podcast, I had mentioned it to a couple patients uh, whose, whose husbands have the male factor. And they were like, oh, please have him on. You know, we, we, we would love to listen. We would love our husband to listen. Uh, and, and it's nice that you offer the option to, you know, log in from home and don't have to say anything the first time. You can just listen even the second time. Um, but it, that there is a forum here if if you feel inclined to participate. So, Yuan, you're amazing. And I, I would attend your group. I feel like you'd offer a great kind of therapy. Where can our listeners find you? So I'm on Instagram. This is the main social media platform I'm using. Um, my handle is four, like the number four, dot consulting. So you can find me there. Amazing. And I'll put all of Yuan's information in the show notes. Highly recommend him. Great to talk to. And it'll be nice to have that support for your men. And, you know, maybe so they can be evolving emotionally and spiritually whilst you're all going through this. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Krishna. I appreciate it.
I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community, and I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at naturna underscore life or at naturally CB to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.